breaking the zoning bylaw into 160 or so bite-sized pieces. This week, we'll learn how the EFCL is approaching the zoning bylaw renewal discussion. We'll talk with Laura cunningham Chaplet, Executive Director of the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 236. This week, Council has debated all manner of things, and we'll get to a couple of those later in the episodes. But Mac, this is zoning bylaw the podcast i did not have on my bingo card that zoning would be such a huge influential item on this term of council but yet it is only speeding up not slowing down in terms of op-eds in terms of community outrage in terms of x's or whatever you call tweets (laughs) these days it does seem like every day there's a new voice or a new op-ed in support or or in opposition. And I think maybe we didn't know that zoning would be such a hot issue, but we did say several times that bringing the city plan to life would be a key part of this council term. And that's really what zoning bylaw renewal is, is here to do, right? So in a way, Troy, I think we were pretty spot on, actually. That's what you get when you're an organization like Taproot that has this beat reporting that follows these stories as they develop. And Taproot was born as a startup. And Mac, Edmonton Startup Week is returning October 10th through 14th. The flagship event of Edmonton Startup Week is, of course, Launch Party. This year is the 14th edition. It takes place on Thursday, October 12th at the Edmonton Convention Center. As always, there will be 10 of the hottest local startups. And this year, something they're doing that's new is one of those 10 startups will walk away with a $10,000 prize. Since 2010, more than 120 different local startups have launched products at the event, including well-known startups like Jobber, Shobi, Poppy Barley, and even, yes, Taproot. Launch Party 14 tickets are on sale now, and it's just one of the dozens and dozens and dozens of events taking place during Edmonton Startup Week. So 36. That's the number of events that is taking place. <laughs> I understand there's more than 70 now. So there's dozens no and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. Sufficient quantities of multiples of 12. Got it. You, you got there. Yeah. We've been talking about the zoning bylaw renewal for quite some time now, and we have no inclination to stop. As a reminder, the big, big day is coming up October 16th. That's when people will be presenting to city council at public hearing. In preparation to that, we have another voice coming to join us on the podcast. We have the executive director of the EFCL, Laura cunningham Chaplet, and she's coming to talk to us all about the intersection of zoning bylaw renewal, community leagues, and the EFCL. Welcome, Laura. Hello, thank you. Glad to have you with us. Maybe for our listeners who are unfamiliar with you and your role, maybe just uh, tell us a bit about what you do at EFCL. Yeah, so as the executive director, I am really tasked with executing what the board wants to see happen, right? The vision of the board of directors and our board of directors represents um, every area of the city. And I'm proud to say currently our board is full. So we have a representative that represents the interests of leagues across the city. So there's 12 of us. Uh, My president, Jen Parsonage, uh, is based out of the Millwoods area. And they set the vision for the organization. They set the tone. They give me direction. And then I work with our staff who every day are working with many, many leagues across the city. So that's kind of how it works. And the leagues are independent organizations, right? Like they're not 
you know, units of EFCL, they're self-organizing with their own bylaws, that kind of stuff. You got it. So they are independent organizations and obviously geographically based. So the connection up with the EFCL is that we have many agreements that we are shared jointly. So one of them is called the Tripartite License Agreement, and that kind of binds us together. So we sometimes will talk about the uh, Community League movement here in Edmonton, because we do know that as one voice, we are more powerful. We do things together. We try to speak together, but there are times that there are leagues that have different opinions. And so our role is really to to hear those opinions, to hear those voices, and to, as EFCL, still put forward a position as best that we can, representing those 162 community leagues. And now community leagues do a lot in the city of Edmonton. It is sort of a given in the city of Edmonton that community leagues exist. But of course, this is quite a novel concept globally mm-hmm. that such community organizations would exist and have such a structure. There's everything from like wedding venues to neighborhood organizations to lobbying the government. What do you think in a nutshell is the pitch for people who are unfamiliar with community leagues? What is the point of all of this? Oh, good question, Troy. You know, <laughs> if I may, I mean, it came up from... A movement, and it's a hundred years old, right? To add to that, it's unique and it's long-standing in the city, and I think it really helped to shape the city. So folks will often talk about Edmonton feeling like a small town, and I do think that that's because of the neighborhood, the community league movement, and the the amenities that are close by. You can, you know, really walk, bike, and roll, especially in established neighborhoods, to a lot of recreation amenities. Your hall being one of them, your you know your courts, all that stuff, and that really contributes to that sense of connection. Collaboration that I think Edmonton is really known for. So what is the point of a league? Is really about gathering people together who live in a geographical area. And so it's about shared interests, right? So maybe it's about traffic calming measures. We've seen leagues get involved with things like that. We've seen people get involved in building halls, places to have, you know, your yoga or your kids' workshops or your seniors' coffee time, those sort of things. And it's really about that hub in the neighborhood where people can come together in that shared geographical experience and and really they define it what it is the the league is made up of the people that live there and so it's not a service provider i say it's like a bottom up organization because it it depends on who shows up as to what happens in that league you both have experience actually being on community league boards and stuff um i'm a member of my community league but never been involved in the board and, and whatever and one of the things i've observed at least living where i do downtown is that on issues like zoning bylaw renewal we tend not to treat the community league as the they speak for residents um, but on issues that do fall within a specific area, it feels to me like there's a tendency for council and others to say, well, we talked to the community league, therefore we've consulted all residents. But as you say, Laura, they don't necessarily speak for all residents and not everybody's going to have the time or inclination to show up and be a member of the board. So how do you think about that tension? It's really tricky, Mac. And I think that's sort of what led us a lot to the position that we did end up taking. Zoning bylaw renewal is huge and it is a not only a huge piece of work, but it impacts each person in a community very differently. And for a league to really get a sense of how do all my neighbors feel about this position is so hard, right? It's so hard. And so we're trying to find ways and put processes in place 
to support leagues that are are seeing groups of people kind of really raise alarm bells about certain issues to have a good process that as a league they have a transparent process now around how they're going to determine are they going to get involved in an issue or not because I think Mac to your point sometimes it's not been clear as to about why leagues will take a position in one area and not in another so we're working to create better processes like that but also the other thing is just around communication the city of Edmonton has the you know the insight community and lots of ways to really tap into people you know and get their info and, and leagues don't have that quite yet so we're working to bring in a couple new systems over the next year where leagues will be able to kind of connect more quickly with all of their members. You know, some of them do Facebook groups, some of them will hold, you know, convening areas like physically at a hall, but lots of leagues don't have that. So I think what we're trying to do at EFCL is find ways to make it more structured for leagues going forward so that they have more clear ways of getting involved and that their residents know, okay, how come my league is getting involved in this? and not that. So you alluded to a position, and that's what we're here to talk about today. What is the EFCL's position that they're taking on the ZBR, the Zoning Bylaw Renewal? We're supportive of it contingent on some climate adaptation regulations being included. So what we heard a lot from leagues that we spoke with, and we did a few what we heard workshops, was was really concerns around solar readiness, permeability of the site, lots of things that had to do with trees, right? Lots of things that really, when you tie them together, are connected in with the strategies that exist already at the city of Edmonton. So what we're saying to the city is use those existing strategies, your community energy transition strategies, they're awesome. Let's use those to create regulations so that the zoning bylaw renewal is thinking about those things, putting them into place. Because, you know, although a bylaw is ever changing, right, this isn't like a period at the end of if this gets accepted, this is just a comma, right? There will continually be amendments to this. We want to make sure we get it as close to right to begin with, because we know that sometimes those amendments can be difficult to get done later. And so our ask is for it to get done before. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I guess let's talk a little bit about that position. We'll get to the climate mitigation part in a minute. How did the EFCL arrive at this position? Because like Mac alluded to, the EFCL does not comprise the entire city of Edmonton. I know when I was sitting on the community league board, it was roughly about 10% was the membership in my neighborhood community league. And I think that was roughly applicable across the city, may have changed slightly. Mm -hmm. So given that... What goes into the EFCL saying, okay, this is a position, we've arrived on it based on this criteria, Mm -hmm. and how do we get to that point? I mean, we did a few things. We used to have a community planning and development committee that would report up to the board of directors. So just in terms of governance, we've removed that committee and, and created a committee called Community Planning and Sustainability working group. And that is a group of people that aren't representative, but are kind of experts in their field around community planning, sustainability, but they're also endorsed by their league. They're connected in with their community. We talked with that group quite a bit. We did some community engagement sessions in May and June, where we held them across the city. We gathered people together, did a survey. But over the course of the you know, a couple of years, like we have heard on and off again from different leagues and what their concerns were, what their questions were. So those together, along with our board of directors, they informed that decision. So Troy, is it a, is it a perfect decision? Does it encompass everyone's opinion and, and are all leagues 100% on board with it? They all know about it. They've all received it. 
at this point, we haven't had any big pushback that it's incorrect, that it's wrong, that it's off the mark. It really sits with the values that I think EFCL has around trying to move forward with vibrant communities, more livable communities, better mobility options for people. Those are the things that EFCL stands on. And so that's why we really felt that this was in alignment with that. Is this unusual for EFCL to take a position on an issue like this? I think it's been it's been difficult, right, Mac? I think over the years, we have chosen different positions to take on different issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're right. I think the board has become a little bit more aware about when we get involved, when we take issue with things, especially to this extent. It's very rare that we'll get to this point that we put out very public positions, that we let the EFCL, the members know about it. But we've seen some polarizing conversations happening in some leagues and wanted to give them something if they didn't feel comfortable to stand up and take a position as a board, as an individual league, that they could say this is what the EFCL, our sort of umbrella support organization believes. And perhaps they could say even at this time, we're in alignment with that, right? It gives them something to stand on if they don't have the capacity or interest, frankly, to take a position on their own. This is a pretty divisive project for a lot of leagues. And so a lot of them have just decided to be conveners for conversations as opposed to taking positions at this point. So I can feel a little bit of tension in some of those comments. And uh, Mm. perhaps some of that tension is fueled by, you know, my frequent repetition that the EFCL is, quote unquote, a conservative secret lobby organization. I'm uh, (laughs) I know that has been something that I've said that has caused consternation over at the EFCL before. And I think What I'm hearing from you in your comments is that there has been an acknowledgement that the EFCL hasn't always been the most progressive organization, but there is a recognition by the board and the steering committees that maybe that is something that the future direction of the EFCL would like to change. Is that roughly capturing some of it? I think you've captured that well, Troy. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Given that, is this appropriate? Right. Going through this discussion of, okay, the EFCL has taken a position and you mentioned that this is rare and something that you don't do often. Taking this as a learning opportunity, is this something that you think the EFCL should be doing going forward? Or is maybe this something that through this process you've learned, maybe this is something we should take an exit from? It's a good it's a good question, Trey. I I do think there are times when we do need to take positions on things because I think, frankly, Edmontonians see us as a voice of the community. And there's just not a ton of those right now, right? So I think people will say there's lots of voices for development organizations. There's lots of voices for business. And and whether it's through sort of historical knowledge, but I think, you know, there are Edmontonians who will say, what does the EFCL think? Because they at least speak from a neighborhood community voice. So I do think it's important for us to make and take positions on big issues that affect the whole city. And that's where we really decide to take those positions when it doesn't just affect a small part of the city, it affects the whole city. Or we actually say, I'll say more than 50%. Even if it affects more than 50% of the city, we, we will get involved. I'll add as color commentary, I do think that the EFCL officially throwing its weight behind 40 kilometer an hour in communities was the turning point in that discussion. Totally. The vote didn't happen the next day, but I think that was the moment where mm-hmm. it became possible. You know, there is merit to the idea that the FCL has some weight in this regard and some ability to influence policymaking. And given that, one of the things I'm wondering about is timing. Because 
We've been talking about zoning bylaw renewals since the beginning of this podcast. I think the project started probably actually before you moved into your role at EFCL or just around yeah, that same, the time. same time. About the same time. About the same time. Five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Presumably, city council, city administration has engaged with community leagues or with EFCL over the intervening years as this project has been unfolding. Maybe the answer is just that, as Troy said, the organization has matured in that time. But why make a position public now ahead of what appears to be a likely three-day contentious public hearing and not earlier on in the process? So we have, every, like for the past three years, written letters to council with positions around our approach, what we thought about the zoning bylaw. We didn't make them quite as public as this, right? But I did speak at Urban Planning Committee in June of 2021, in May of 2022, and again in June of 2023. And along the way, our staff have been working with administration to find ways to get their messages out more to community leagues. So again, our position was never that we create resources because it's this is a huge piece of work. So the city creates the resources and we find ways to help get it out to community leagues so that they can distribute it. We helped um, the city held open houses at uh, about six community leagues. I think that was back last fall. So we have worked with them to try to get the information out more readily over the course of the couple of years. So again, to your point, this is the first time we're making a big splash position, but we've been speaking with Urban Planning Committee regularly. Do you think a justification for the sort of big splash position is simply because it is becoming so divisive? I mean, you look open post media any given day and there will be a different op-ed about zoning bylaw renewal. And I know talking with people who are in leagues, that is spilling over into the communities. People are showing up at communities saying, I want to post this resource or this counter resource. Was some of this born out of the desire to sort of like end that community confrontation, maybe we'll call it, on the ground in our communities, the community leagues bearing the brunt of this conversation? That's right, Troy. I mean, I think um, you're right. Leagues are bearing the brunt of this, and especially after some of the information that went out right before Community League Day, you know, really went out very publicly to people to say, lean on your community league and ask them what they think. You know, and so th this puts leagues in a difficult position, right? Especially ones who don't have the capacity. This is, a, again, I've said it before, it's a big piece of work. It's really important. And some leagues care deeply about this and some, many, many don't, right? It's not, it's just not on their radar in the same way. So exactly, this was part of it was to give them something to lean on, to give them something to use if needed. And, and again, aligns very closely with our values as an organization. What we heard from the the interactions that we did have with leagues was that they wanted those livable, viable, connected communities. And so that's what we really want to focus on and talk about what we want as opposed to what we don't want. You said one of the things that the FCL does want is some changes around climate mitigation. So want to understand that a little bit better. Is it uh, an unfair assumption to make that EFCL has brought up the idea of incorporating more of this over the last number of years through this engagement and city manager Andre Korbold said, I haven't heard from a million people yet? Uh, or is this a, a new realization that EFCL has come to that this is the opportunity now or this is the mechanism by which we can bring some of those 
climate adaptation measures forward. There's a lot going on right now with EFCL. With We have a few leagues that have created uh, proposals for net zero community halls. We have a whole Green Leagues program as part of the EFCL that really is working around climate resilience. So how to bring facilities that leagues own, you know, how to make those adaptations along the way. So it's been in our radar for the last five years quite strongly. And so I think it seemed appropriate that this would be the right time, right, to really do these pushes because we're hearing, like after the summer we've had, frankly, and after the last couple of years, I think Edmontonians, clearly there's been all sorts of reports that Edmontonians are really concerned about this. And I think leagues are hearing about it and we're hearing about it too. So it felt like the right time. We had the right programs, the right initiatives happening in our own organization and across the EFCL, across leagues. It fit really well for us. Take me into a little bit, if you're giving a piece of feedback as the EFCL to city administration saying, we want more climate mitigation in the zoning bylaw, what does that functionally look like? Like how technical is the EFCL getting in its suggestion to city council? Do you have staff actually reading the bylaw and saying, I want this zone to have this clause about this permitted use? Or is it a more general, we would like to see more climate in it? To what extent is the EFCL really demanding specific changes versus general changes? So it's pretty general changes. What we're looking for is engagement as well. So we recognize it. I think that what we've all clearly heard is that people want a voice in this process. And I think we feel like this is a piece that people could really jump into. Now, my understanding is since we've you know made this more public is that there is some work being done in Q4 around some of these climate mitigation, like creating the framework for this going forward over the next year and bringing in some regulations. I think what we feel at EFCL is that this is the power behind it to say, don't forget it, keep doing this. And if we can get as much committed before the zoning bylaw passes, the happier we'll be, right? So things like buildings for solar readiness, EV readiness, you know, the all of those sort of things, the more that we can get those, maybe not committed, committed would be nice. A framework would be great funding for it, making sure that it happens, right? Because EFCL can continue to advocate for those things over the coming year. As I said, this isn't the end of the bylaw. This is frankly the beginning of a new bylaw. And that's where we need to get involved. You mentioned that you're supportive contingent on these climate mm-hmm. mitigation mechanisms. I think the inverse of that, let's assume City Council doesn't add any additional climate mitigation mechanisms at public hearing. Would the EFCL be speaking in opposition to the bylaw in that case? Well, considering we'll be speaking before it's passed or not passed, I guess that's a tricky question, isn't it? Yeah. it's. I think it's one of those things that I think it, it means that technically if they don't put any climate adaptation or mitigation measures, if we don't see any rubber hitting the road, frankly, on these things in a short time frame, I think that's what the board is most interested in, is how do we make sure that this doesn't go on for years, a framework that takes time and is it takes a long time to be developed. And so I, I think at this point, we want to support it to go forward, but I think we would have a lot of reluctance if there was not the commitments we would see behind it. I think several members of council have said similar things to you, like there's a comma here. This is not the end of the road, right? And I, I wonder if what we'll see is council will say, there's been a lot of engagement. This is a really good first step. Let's get this done and then let's look at how we can amend this further. If that's the approach they take, how does EFCL continue to hold their feet to the fire on you know, the climate stuff, for instance? Like, How do you remain engaged on those amendments to the zoning bylaw renewal? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we we kind of have a multi-prong approach, right? As we do sort of our work with administration as much as we can. We support getting out into the community as much as we can, especially with these sort of things. Like if we can advocate for a higher level of engagement so that we people feel like they've been able to contribute. So not just refine, but, you know, maybe even a create level of engagement. Those are some things that we can continue to ask for. So that's what I would say. We will work with administration and also also work with council if needed. So one of the big pieces of opposition to the zoning bylaw renewal process has been consultation, right? We've heard from several speakers that it was a process issue, that 2% of Edmontonians have ever heard about zoning. There is certainly crossover between leagues and those comments, and leagues are part of the EFCL. So it's a bit of a tangled mess here because like you said leagues are independent organizations they can say whatever they want to say that Mm -hmm. may or may not align with the efcl's position does the efcl have a position on the consultation of this zoning bylaw renewal process like you said you had worked with city administration to distribute some resources so from the efcl's perspective was consultation on this process good enough yeah, that's a big question, Troy. I think it I think it went on for a long time. I think putting in a notice into property tax assessments was when I saw it, I thought a really good move. I think frankly this is just a topic that people don't care about very much <laughs> until they care deeply about it. And I think, you know, we have sent out and I, you know, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but, you know, in so many of our newsletters, in so many direct emails to leagues about it, but, and it, and I don't think that leagues don't care, but it just doesn't hit in the same way as some things that are really on fire right in front of you. So I am not convinced that longer engagement is going to produce anything different. I think this is a real emotional response right now. And I, I think it's an important response. I think this is democracy and I think it's really important that people have their five minutes to articulate their concerns. I'm not convinced that longer engagement will help. I I do think we need to look at this as a comma and that we keep pushing and we keep pushing for change in the new bylaw. I think the other thing it's worth pointing out, Troy, as we've heard over the years, is uh, if you don't like the decision, the easiest thing to do is complain about the engagement process, right? It might actually have nothing to do with the engagement process itself. It's just that's a thing that we for whatever weird reason can agree it's okay to point your finger at. So I think you're I think you're right, Laura, that uh, I don't know that longer consultation would have made any difference here. And I think, Troy, you called it probably the most engaged on project the city's done. I can't think of any engagement process that has had more exhaustive engagement than this one. Um, though, you know, I don't know every project the city has ever engaged on, so... Happy to yeah. be wrong. I on that. agree to disagree, Troy. I think you do know every single <laughs> project that the city has engaged on. <laughs> I mean, so like definitely from our perspective, we have the listener stats on our episodes that are dedicated to zoning bylaw renewal versus any other episode. People don't care <laughs> about zoning bylaw. I mean, even the nerds that listen to this podcast they tap out at around 15 minutes of talking about zoning. So unfortunately, at this point in the episode, we've lost most of our listeners. 
thank you for still being here. <laughs> Laura, you said you've heard from lots of Community League members and others about the importance of those climate mitigation aspects and that that's become a topic of discussion over the last couple of years. One of the things we've seen pretty consistently about zoning bylaw renewal is also concern about affordability and mm -hmm. what this could do for affordability throughout uh, our city. And I wonder if ESCL has heard or, or learned anything about that that has informed uh, the board's position? Yeah, thanks, Mac. You know, and that was actually in our position as well around affordability because it is, it's crucially important. And Troy and I can attest to that, you know, just because you build density in a neighborhood doesn't mean it becomes any more affordable. Mm -hmm. But I do think from what we're hearing, you know, from the conversation out there is that we stand a better chance at affordability. If we can build more suites, if we can build more apartment buildings, this is a really, it's a tricky conversation. And I think a lot of us feel that there is a risk there. But, you know, I think the article that was in CBC yesterday that talked about newcomers and, and their opportunities to have diverse housing options and neighborhoods that were more useful for them, right? That maybe they didn't have a car yet, but they wanted to live in a place where they could, you know, easily, more easily take transit. I think that's what we're looking for. So making sure it's affordable, but accessible for more people. So the last thing I want to talk about in regards to this is one of the things in the zoning bylaw that caused me great joy. The mature neighborhood overlay is this little donut that surrounds our communities, and that is dying its uh, long overdue, in my opinion, death in this zoning bylaw renewal process. However, I would say that the EFCL was instrumental in getting the mature neighborhood overlay approved. Is there a sense of loss over there? Is this part of the changing thinking of the EFCL? Or is this a blow across the bow that um, you've decided to let go over there? Yes. Thank you, Troy. I mean, I, it's time to let that go. And I think you and I saw very clearly, we don't want neighborhoods to die out, right? And it's already happening, right? Where people are moving to different parts of the city, schools were closed, you know, people, the, the walkability of neighborhoods ended, there was no businesses that moved to those neighborhoods. And in places that didn't have the MNO, we saw them really thrive. And I think as as we want to move forward with that mentality of those vibrant, safe, you know, connected communities, we have to let go of those those setbacks, those rules around, you know, what a what a you know neighborhood needs to look like. And I know that that's hard. I know that that's a that's a really hard thing for a lot of people. We've had a series of grills to uh, send over to you, and thank you for participating. I know it can be intimidating to come on to the podcast, especially um, <laughs> given that you mentioned you listen to it on a regular basis. So that I must do. make it even I more do. intimidating to come on. <laughs> Thank you for being forthcoming with us and talking with us. Um, we like to give our guests a platform to say whatever they want to say. Plug what you want to plug. Direct people to what you want to direct them to. Is there anything a listener to this episode should leave with? You know, I think they should leave with the knowledge that the community league system in Edmonton is alive and well. And it can only be as great as you make it. So I would say go to efcl.org, buy your league membership, reach out to your league and get involved because that's we make a great city because of Edmontonians stepping up to be a part of it. And so every day I get to witness and hear amazing stories about what neighbors do to create an incredible city. And so I think if I could say to your listeners, like, get out there and be a part of it. It's there for you. It's ready for you. And of course, we can't let you go without talking about the thing that is under the tarps and cages right now. But we like to get a sense from all of our guests. What are your thoughts on the Talisdome? <laughs> 
what is happening there is what I want to know. <laughs> what is happening? You know, are they excavating it all now? Are they digging deeper? I don't know. Oh, I do love it, actually. I think it's great. I think it's a, you know, I think art like that is the talking piece. What else are you going to talk about with your kids in the car? Like, you talk about things like that. It's Those are what make our city unique and interesting. Keep them. All, all day. Keep it there. It sure beats that blue ring in Calgary, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? We all talk about it. We're talking about it. I guess um, <laughs> to your point. To your point. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I think it's, uh, those are, those are the things that make our city interesting and unique sometimes. So. Well, once again, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you and good luck on your, what I'm sure will be three day meeting on October 16th. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you too as well. Thank you. <laughs> so of course, we're going to be watching this uh, zoning bylaw renewal discussion, but that wasn't all council had time to talk about this week. And in fact, they're not really talking about ZBR and they're waiting till October 16th to fully dig into it. One of the items I wanted to pull out this week to talk about was about Valley Line compensation. This is something that Andrew Knack has brought up more times than I seem to be able to count. It always seems like Andrew Knack is proposing construction compensation for businesses. And we'll get into that a little bit. But in a narrow 7-6 vote this week, council actually opted to pursue the idea of compensating businesses impacted by Valley Line West construction. Yeah, as you say, really close vote, something that's come up before. Finally now, you know, in true Edmonton fashion is not going to happen, but is going to be probably piloted. I think we can look forward to a pilot project here at some point. The whole idea here is that for major construction projects such as the LRT, there's an awful lot of disruptive uh, construction and activity that happens that negatively impacts you know, residents, but also those businesses. And if you think about Stony Plain Road, I've posted some pictures on my my Flickr of what it looks like right now. Uh, I'm not concerned anymore for the loss of Twitter because you just unironically said you have a Flickr as <laughs> a, like a social network that you're contributing to. So turns out they can't die. Uh, social networks are here forever. 35,000 plus photos I have up on Flickr. Lots of them creative commons about Edmonton. So it's a hopefully a useful resource and not just a social networking thing. You know, those businesses look inaccessible, like you can't get to them. And there's some real disruption happening to those businesses. And even in 2023, not everybody orders things online. We still like to go and support our local businesses in person. And so what is being proposed here and what the administration will now go and look into further is some sort of a financial program to compensate those businesses. And what they're proposing is essentially like a loan or a reduction in property taxes that they do have to pay back at some point, but not until after the construction is done and only if, you know, their revenues go back up to a higher amount than they had prior to the construction starting. So it's kind of a compensation, I suppose. It's a little bit more like deferring their payments in order to kind of say, sorry, this is so disruptive to your business along the way. Basically like a mini CRL for businesses' individual property taxes. It's essentially saying, hey, we're installing an LRT line. This is going to increase your business. You're going to make more money and we're going to extract more taxes from you. So we're okay with taking a deferral on the property taxes in the interim and then we'll collect more from you in the future. Which, okay, you know, sounds like a reasonable thing to do. I know Vise for Pies, uh, the owner there, had said thanks but no thanks to the idea. Um, they had said that, you know, they've, Roughly lost about 30% of their business during this construction season, but they'll be fine. Um, they've 
sell pies and cheesecakes for a decent amount of money. And I mean, I'm always going to go to Vise for pies, so I think they're fine. But some of the other businesses along Stony Plain Road, they really are struggling. It's one of those things where you kind of have to go there and see it in person to truly understand why I think Counselor Knack is pushing so hard for this. What prompted me to talk about this this week was one of the comments from Counselor Karen Tang, who said uh, in regards to passing this, quote, I kind of worry about the message it sends to other businesses who went through this previously, kind of what about us, end quote, because in previous constructions, we didn't compensate business owners. Specifically, I'm thinking like the 102 Ave Bridge that was famously delayed. We didn't end up compensating those business owners for their disruption. And I think what solidified in my mind that this was a good idea or something that we should pursue is walking down Stony Plain Road. It is truly embarrassing to see. The entire road is torn up. No one's actually doing construction there, right? Like if you want to pour some asphalt and put some rails down or move some utilities, you can do that. It doesn't take months on months on months. For the most part, this is just destroyed for destruction's sake. And there is no drive to minimize disruption in any material way. For a city of our size, for a construction project of this size, after so many very public LRT snafus, this is honestly embarrassing to me. I think council should compensate solely because they should be paying a fine for incompetence on LRT management project. And I get that this is a P3. I get that it's, you know, the P3 contractor. But for this to have happened on previous construction processes and for us to have turned down compensation, I do require that our council and administration learn from our past mistakes, which it is clear to me looking at Stony Plain Road that we absolutely have not. I think you're right. The root cause here is not that we're not compensating businesses. It's that our construction projects are so disruptive and so ongoing and long term or or worse in the case of LRT construction without definitive end date. Right. And so it makes it really difficult as a business to be able to to plan for that and to deal with that construction. I had kind of a couple of thoughts about this, too, when I when I saw that uh, you uh that you put this on the agenda for this ep- this episode. The first is that this is not a new idea. And I don't mean just in Edmonton. The city of Montreal approved $25 million over four years for specifically this kind of thing back in 2018. So well before the pandemic, well before Councillor Knack coming up with the idea. And, you know, I'm sure they're just one of many. So it's not like this hasn't been done in other places. There's an opportunity for Edmonton to learn about those programs, what worked well about them, what didn't work well about them, and to try to apply some of that learning here. That maybe doesn't always happen enough for my taste. We all too often look for a made in Edmonton solution. But in this case, you know, a disruptive construction project is similar in other places as it is here. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from. The second thing is, as you said, you know, the sort of embarrassment that this is so disruptive and is managed so poorly. It kind of reminds me on a much smaller scale of what happens, you know, in our downtown core and in other places where you're building towers. If you walk around other large cities in North America, especially American cities, they don't close sidewalks. Things are not impassable. They raise hoarding up above the sidewalk. That's where the materials are for the construction teams that are working on it. They're, you know, building towers in extremely dense places. And here in Edmonton, 
we just close things all over the place. We make them impassable. And, and that sort of culture of it's okay to just shut things down for a while is a real problem, I think, in a city as large as Edmonton. We've seen this in all manner of areas, LRT, downtown buildings, Horlack Park. Like <laughs> I was going to say Horlack Park. You beat me to it. Right. We just close things. Like, and, and we should be at a point as in our development where we can uh, be a little bit more sophisticated about moving these projects forward. So all of that said, I think this is a good idea to explore this. I don't know if it'll actually happen in Edmonton. If anything happens, like I said, it'll be a pilot, no doubt. Um, but that would be a good thing to uh, investigate. The most exciting piece about this to me is every time you hear about a Valley Line Southeast delay, it's, you know, Mayor Sohi getting in front of the mics and saying, this doesn't cost taxpayers anything because there's a fine for the contractor for each day that they're delayed. I'd love to see that implemented for the city as well. It's just like, if you as a city are mismanaging a construction project, you have to pay a fine to the taxpayers. And I, granted, sure, it comes from our own money. We're fining ourselves. I get that. But like having a punitive structure for not delivering to the citizens, I don't know. Maybe that's the stick that we need to get projects done in an effective on-time manner. At the very least, it's perhaps a small recognition that the impact of these projects is not simply the money we pay to the contractors. There is a larger impact here. That's a very good point, Mac. And uh, we have cut about two minutes of dead air as I tried to think of a transition, and I got nothing. So here's the rapid-fire segment. Hearing complaints about high ticket prices and low availability last season, the NHL and OEG have partnered to substantially decrease demand for tickets in the upcoming season, starting with signing Nickelback to perform at the NHL Heritage Classic in Edmonton later this month. I just want to put it on the record that I think Nickelback is actually a pretty good band, and I think bullying Nickelback will become out of vogue and lambasted. It's gonna We're going to be embarrassed to be bullying Nickelback in the future. This is something that TikTokers are going to mock millennials for <laughs> and yet i still wrote this joke so i too enjoy nickelback and uh i hope you're right the city of edmonton youth council an advisory body focused on and governed by youth aged 13 to 23 in the city issued a release saying that youth in the city want transit to be safer and faster unfortunately the report itself is not available as the youth council member who was to deliver it took transit and the length of the bus ride caused him to age out of his youth council eligibility edmonton public school board chair trisha estabrooks has announced that she will step down as chair in order to run for the federal ndp nomination in edmonton center the two-term trustee stressed that now is the time to move to a higher office because she's already done one term as school trustee, and honestly, what's even the point of doing it if you're not using it to win an election for an office with a pension? Speaking Municipally is a publication of Taproot Edmonton, who also publishes The Pulse. It's the best way to start your day informed with Taproot's daily news briefing. It tells you everything you need to know every weekday morning about City Hall, business, tech, foods, the arts, anything that you could want to know that is something that Taproot follows as a beat. So, you know, not everything you could possibly want to know, but just these narrow subset of topics. Mac, <laughs> am I really selling the pulse here or what? Oh, totally. I mean, the pulse does have some fun stuff in it. We usually mention a moment in history, which is a great little item that I think brings some delight. But even in the headlines, there's some fun stuff. And this week, Troy, did you know that Edmonton is a hub for people who keep ants as pets. What do they have an emotional relationship <laughs> with ants? Like, how, how do ants make good pets? Why are Edmontonians this way? And why is Edmonton the hub? But that's the kind of fun thing that we sometimes get to curate in the Pulse headlines. And of course, you can find all of this at taprootedmonton.ca. And that's all we have time for this week. 
Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And I'm Laura. And we're Speaking Speaking Minnesota.